If you have a perfect family, you won't be comfortable here. We are all imperfect families. Our church family is even an imperfect family. For these number of weeks, we're dealing with the family tree. And next three weeks, we'll deal more with the trunk, which is all about marriage, and we'll get to the branches. But for these couple of Sundays, we're dealing with the root system. And the psalmist says that the, the person is blessed who plants their tree next to streams of water because they're always bearing fruit. They won't wither and they won't die. There's always a water source, right? And so here we are, three guys, Luke and Tim and myself. Here we are preaching today about biblical womanhood. What in the world are we doing up here? You know, if this was up to me just to talk about this, you know, I would be a mess. And if we went around the room today and talked about biblical womanhood, there'd be all kinds of ideas about biblical womanhood. We live in a time and age when women are in the spotlight for sometimes some good reasons, sometimes some bad reasons, and the culture messes with the, the, the lines of, of male and female and, 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 and calling to question the distinctions between genders, and we, we would have all kinds of opinions about all of this. There always have been all kinds of opinions about males and females. And that's why we want to plant our root system in the Word of God. Because it's not about opinions, it's about what does God say? And then when the root system is right, then we can live in a way and we can adjust to culture. We do, we, we do, we do make improvements as we, as we learn because we're, we're a fallen world and we're a broken world. And, and some good things need to happen out of our, our focusing on distinction of genders. But, but we have to do it from God's, God's way, from the Scripture, because He always tells the truth. And He's the one that made us. So he made us. He's the designer of us. It makes sense. Since he's the chief engineer, we go to him. We need biblical truth. As a fallen man, I cannot be trusted having the right views about womanhood, the right opinions about women, and the right understanding about women. I mean, when I actually thought the day we got married, I would one day understand my wife. I know I never will by this time. And none of us can. Through the generations, there have been some really good changes in culture regarding women. There have been some healthy things. There have been some harmful things done as well. And, and views have been formed. The founder of the feminist movement, Gloria Steinem, said a gender equal society would be one where the word gender does not exist. I would have lost so much in my life had it not been for the influence of women in my life. I had a godly mother I have a godly wife. I have daughters that want to be godly. I have, have had other women in my life that have been a part of shaping me. I, I, I perish at the thought of a world with only males. Blech. <laughs> but we do want to understand uh, the role of men and women in a proper way according to the scripture because we all can have warped understanding of it all. With this, we need biblical grace. Because we men have been guilty through the generations of being terrible, obnoxious chauvinists. But some of these things, I don't like the giggling that's going on that I'm hearing. Uh, but the answer is not militant feminists. That's not the solution for it. In both cases, we have done a terrible job of trying to live out our gender our own way. 
And in so doing, we have brought much, much abuse and scarring. And so the answer is, a stu- is understanding the design by God and, and ex- experiencing the grace that he wants us to know, despite our sinfulness that we brought on ourselves or we've been victims of, uh, we, we live in an age where there are so many hurting people. And maybe you're one of them today. You know, you may not have pleasant memories of a nurturing mother. You may have lost your mother this year. Jamie, Jamie's uh, old stepfather, no, your mother's still living, sorry. There was somebody else I saw out here. I know you just lost your mother. And here you are, it's hard first Mother's Day. Um, you have, um, you know, we have women here today, I'm sure, who have scars from an abortion from years ago. Or maybe you gave away your virginity before marriage, or maybe you went from relationship to relationship looking for meaning and some kind of wholeness somewhere. You know, maybe, maybe you've hurt by, by, by miscarriage or wanting a child and not having one or being, being disappointed in, the, in not being the, quite the picture you thought motherhood. There's all kinds of scars that happen to us from all different experiences of life. And in the midst of that, Jesus Christ says, I have come to bring you healing and I've come to bring you wholeness and I want you to know life and I want you to know freedom. And I hope you can know that, all of us, regardless male or female, we're all scarred, we're all broken. We've, we've, we've done shameful things, all of us. But praise God in Jesus Christ is the day that comes when all that is taken away by the blood of Christ. Is that right? Do you believe that? I hope you know. I hope you more than believe it. I hope you experience it. We need grace. So what is a woman? I know I Googled womanhood. And guess what I got? Pages and pages of women and beauty. Beauty tips, models, how to lose weight, you know, uh, how, how to, it was all about body image. It was sad to me to go page after page and see that. Now, to want to be attractive, to take what God made you to be and, and, and want to be appealing is a natural thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But sadly, society has reduced women to that kind of thing. They've objectified women. They've abused women. Culture has discredited women. That's why we need the designer's wisdom. And we men have been part of, of course, adding to that. We all have, have played that up. And we men need to be, be repentant of that as well. If you have anything broken in life, we go to the maker. Here's the core truth about womanhood is that biblical womanhood reveals the invitational beauty of God. The invitational beauty of God. In the creation account, God created male and female. Both were created to reflect the beauty of God. Beauty is indeed in the eye of the beholder. And when God created woman, he saw her to be fascinatingly beautiful. That's how he made her to be. The word for female in the Hebrew is nikabah, N-E-Q-E-B-A-H, nikabah. And it means to, to be bored open, to be punctured, to be bored through. Uh, our nature is not to be open and vulnerable. But God created female to be vulnerable in such a way 
that she, she welcomes herself being known by God and also knowing God, her creator. That's what a woman's role is. So he invites and he expects woman to be, to be open to him by her life and by her mind, by her giftedness, by her beauty to the glory of God. You know, somebody thought they were joking when they said God created Adam. Then he looked at Adam and said, oh, I can do better. And the only thing that's a joke about that is God does everything well. He doesn't make anything halfway. He does it all perfectly. Here's the text. We're going to read Genesis 2, beginning of verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And we say amen. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whenever the man called each living creature, that's, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the air, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, now this is bone of my bones, this is flesh of my flesh, she shall be called, whoa, man, <laughs> for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father, and my, well, that's, that's enough. Uh, here's our text. So here is woman. She is first a perfect counterpart to the male gender. Eve was just what Adam needed. The text starts in verse 18 by saying, uh, well, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helpmate. Uh, there was no, no, no nothing suitable. There was, no, there was nothing suitable to be found, he says uh, later on. So the whole idea is that when Adam looks at Eve, he says, at last or finally. What verse was that? That was down. Uh, this is now. Verse 23. This is now. It means finally or now. This is what. He's seen all these animals and nothing he could totally relate to. He's been looking all his life. How many hours that's been. But it's not, not anybody. Maybe it's been several days. We don't know. I remember I took our, our first day, I took Diana to um, a Chinese restaurant. And for a Chinese restaurant, it was pretty romantic. Usually they're not. But this one was. And so I looked deeply in her eyes, and I said, I think you're going to be bone of my bone. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> you looked at me like, you're kidding. Yes, I am kidding. No, it doesn't sound very romantic that he should say that. That's the first words that he said. It's poetic. It's Hebrew poetic language. You see, what, what, what makes this so beautiful is that he's saying, now as I see you, I can see me. I am finding myself. I'm, I'm, how did Adam know what he looked like physically? Well, he could have looked in the reflection of water in a river. But if you go and you look in your mirror, you see a two-dimensional you. You don't see yourself. I don't see myself as other people see us. We only see us sort of. I found so much out about me when I got married. I thought for sure she was wrong. 
But the longer I've lived with her, I've learned she's right. I get defensive about her, about what she said. No, I'm not like that. Oh, yes, you are. And you know, I have to come back and admit she's right. In, in Diana, I get to know me. That's what Adam is saying here. Because there's another person, a counterpart to me, I get to know me better. That's what he means. And so, it says also, Eve was created as a helper. Now, that sounds weak because it's like your little, little girl, little boy helping you make cookies. Oh, your mommy's little helper. And so, it sounds diminutive, but that's not what is meant by this. I mean, you think of Jesus when he said in John 14, when I leave, I'm going to send my helper, who is what? The Holy Spirit. God often says, like in Psalm 118, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. Helper in the Hebrew language, that is a military word. It is a word of strength. It's a word of reinforcement. It's a word where somebody comes along because you're going to lose the battle if you don't have this person by your side. There is nothing intended weak about this. But also it says Eve was created as a suitable helper. Now that is two Hebrew words. This word suitable is two words put together. And it really means this. I will make a helper like opposite him. Well, how can you be like an opposite? Well, that's the whole point. Here is a person that's like me, another human being, so I can know me, but opposite me. Picture two pieces of puzzle that fit together perfectly. Now, it's not any piece of puzzle. Not, not any two pieces come together. It's got to be the exact right piece that fits with the one piece. And so that's the picture of suitable. That when God designed male and female, it was for the fitting together. It was, to be, it was a perfect, it was a suitable like opposite him. I love this picture. Now, you know, uh, you know, we're in our 41st year of marriage. And like I said, because I married Diana, I know myself better. She's me, but she's not me. She's opposite me. And she has come be beside me, and she has reinforced my life in a way to give me strength and a greater character and uprightness, nobility. She has taught me so much. I perish where I would be if I had not had her by my side along the way. And, and she values that role as well. And I do well to pay attention to her and to love her and to care for her because of, of uh, for no other reason, for selfish reasons. She makes me better. And so I want her to be happy in her role. I want to treat her well for that purpose. Now, if you're not married and you're single, it may not be to the same degree of intimacy, but I think of our church staff, for instance, that has so, so many gifted, talented women on it, and I'm so thankful they're at the envisioning table and the ministry table because they offer views and insights that we could never have with just men around the table, and we need those insights. And we're thankful for them. So if you're in the workplace and you're a woman there, and, and I don't know how you're treated there, but you are necessary there. You're needed there uh, to, to make the company you work for be better. But, but, but what, does, what does all this mean? Well, a few things as far as the role is concerned. As a suitable helper, 
women are beautiful lovers. He says, at last, and wow, he's saying, a perfect beauty for him, Eve, was. And she must have been. You know, only 4% of women in, Amer- in, in, in the world consider themselves as being beautiful. That's sad to me. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting, as I said earlier, with wanting to be attractive and beautiful. Here's what Proverbs 31.30 says. Charm, and that word charm is Hebrew. It has to do with physical beauty. It's deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Peter writes, Your beauty should not come from outer adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is great worth in God's sight. Now, when Peter is writing that, he's writing to believing wives who have unbelieving husbands. You don't nag them to go to church with you. You live such a demonstrative life of faith that they want what you have. Now, Peter's not saying here, wives, don't braid your hair. You shouldn't wear jewelry. You shouldn't wear makeup. Uh, You shouldn't wear trendy clothes. He's not saying that. He's saying, as you are taking care of your outward beauty, don't dare miss your inner beauty. Don't miss. Don't get up and get ready for work or get ready for the day or, or to do the, the, the uh, being the mother you're called to be or the wife you're called to be for that day. Don't get so caught up in how you look that day. Then bypass being in the mirror of God's word. Make sure. Make sure you're taking care of your inner, your inner beauty. I, I love, when I do weddings, uh, almost every wedding I'll say, and I love saying this to a couple, Um, because it's a reminder of people out there. I I remind her that one day, and well, both of them, they're going to be gray. Gravity will do its work. Uh, There'll be added pounds, less hair, you know, but on their 50th wedding anniversary, she will be more beautiful than she is today. And he will be more handsome than today. Because what happens through the years is we grow in love with the inner person, Right? And so the physical changes, we change, physically we change, and we don't feel as attractive as we get older, but there's this inner beauty that still grips a man, women. Remember that, wives. You'll always be radiant when you work on the inner beauty, and you you emphasize that over the physical beauty. And so as a beautiful lover, here's the idea of open, open, bored through, punctured. So so there is the sexual reference in that, that the woman is receptive to her husband's advancements and sexual needs. It is is welcomed in a healthy manner, two people wanting to honor God that way. But it's also this, this intimate openness with God at the same time that I want to be, let God love me and change me and shape me in the way he wants to shape me. And being that beautiful person from the inside out, a man is crazy about if he's got any sense at all. She's also an industrious worker. She creates. She's able to design. She, she is able to be, take the home pieces, and she does something with the fabric of the home that men can't do. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 31, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She, this is a very commercial woman. She's a, she's a, a very 
very uh, business savvy woman. She's entrepreneurial in her endeavors. You know, it's interesting to me that I can remember my parents talking about, and, and me in the early years of marriage, a traditional marriage, meaning that the mom, you know, stayed at home and raising the kids and, went, and, the, and the husband went out to work. But this Proverbs 31 woman, I mean, she's a, a woman who does both well. She is a businesswoman. She is a CEO. She is always looking for ways to make money and earn money with her family while also raising kids that are crazy about her and a husband who praises her. This is a woman that you may hate because she can do it all well. You know, but and that, that may be you. It may not be you. But the bottom line is, whatever you do with your life, You have to be healthful about it. Six verses in Proverbs 31 talk about her business sense. Two verses talk about family. So she, now, there's no more, let me say, there's no more important business than raising healthy kids to be God-fearers as adults. There's no more important than that. But you are not less godly if you work and also raise your kids well. You know, they, 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 both, they both are great and they're commendable. This woman in Proverbs 31 is also a noble nurturer. She's not one-dimensional. She's multifaceted. And she has four, these various types of relationships she has. She, has. she nurtures her husband. It says this, a wife of noble character who can find. She is far, worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of values. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land, her husband also, and he praises her. Now, uh, many of you are married here, probably most of you ladies may be married today, some of you are single here today, but one way or the other, your influence is invaluable in our culture. We need your insights, your experience, your perception, your understanding, uh, all the gifts that you have that God has designed you have. You are designed to build up as you are made open before God. He'll use you to bless our culture. Somebody has said behind every successful man is a surprised (laughs) mother-in-law. Might be some truth to that. This woman also nurtures her children. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family. Her children rise and call her blessed. This woman is so concerned with the needs of her family, and she does it well. She makes sure they're well taken care of. And they, 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 are, they grow up and say, I am so blessed. And they go to their mother. If your mom's living today, you make sure you tell her, that you love her and you've been blessed. Now, if you've got teenagers, I wouldn't hold your breath. But, you know, in time, as you continue to invest in them and pour yourselves out, they'll come to adulthood and they're, they're going to tell you that. I remember telling my mom one day I loved her over the mashed potatoes and she started crying. I think it was a very hormonal time in her life. That's the only thing I know. All right. So, here's how I want to close. Last week, uh, Luke and Tim and I told you that the central fear of every man is weightlessness. To leave this earth without making a mark. That's the core fear, that our lives as men have not meant anything. That's why men in middle age sometimes leave their careers and they're done making money. Now they want to do something significant that they really want to do. Men go through that. What's the core fear of a woman? The core fear of a woman is being invisible. Being invisible. She's created to be open. 
To be open means transparent and vulnerable. But what happens, you know? When sin enters, it closes us up. It does that with all of us. But it's particularly true of women. You know, women love to share their lives. You know, a woman says to her friend, hey, let's go for coffee. Oh, sure, where do you want to go? And they sit for three hours. And then you say when they come home, what'd you talk about? Oh, nothing. If, you, if, a, if a guy asks a guy to go to coffee, okay, what are we going to talk about? We're suspicious. Because men don't do that. Women, they're ready to be open. That's why there's a lot of words that come out of their mouths. You know? That's, that's, but it's true. It's their studies. Scientific. It's true. Women love, they want to share their lives. They're, they're open. They're vulnerable. When, when, Eve and, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? The Bible says they knew they were naked and they hid. See, that's what sin does. And some of you ladies have been victimized. You carry scars. Maybe you have a, a father who never said, I love you. You knew he did, but you wish he'd said it. Or a husband. You can feel invisible being married, and you wonder if your husband really sees you. You can do and do for your kids, and all they want is more. It's never enough. You, you can be so scarred in life, either as a victim because of, your, uh, because of a victim or by your own choices. You just feel closed in. And so what do we do? As a culture, we sow fig leaves together, different kinds of fig leaves, being busy being involved, signing up for things. We live our lives through our children uh, to feel important and validated. You know, we, we, we'll, we'll do anything to keep from dealing with the real core issue deep within us. And that is a, a deep abiding relationship with our creator. So here's a story of two women. One woman was a, was a she was just kind of a know-nothing and she slept with a man and got pregnant. He wanted a baby badly, so uh, she got pregnant by him. And the sick thing about it is his wife knew about it. And she said, I think it'd be fine if you went to bed with, with him, with her. But as soon as she got pregnant, boy, that wife was ticked off. Ticked off. And so the girlfriend ran away. She'd just soon die. She felt alone. She ran to the desert. And you know her story well. Her name was Hagar. The man's name was Abraham, and the wife's name was Sarah. Very dysfunctional family. Abraham took matters into his own hands, did life his own way, and created havoc for the world for the rest of its time in existence. But you know, there was Hagar in the middle of the desert, weeping, afraid, alone. She was a victim. And she felt invisible. But God showed up. And he said, Hagar, you go back where you came from. And I'm going to bless you with a lot of descendants. And Hagar called that place Be'er Lahoi Roy. Meaning, I now see the one who sees me. And God did what he promised to do. Fast forward centuries, and there's another Jewish girl, teenager. She's 
not like Hagar at all. She's a godly girl. And she gets pregnant too outside of marriage, but by the Holy Spirit of God himself. And she is stunned by God's notice of her, calling her to such a, a purpose of this to bear Jesus, God's son. And when he is born, she ends up in the desert too of Egypt because God tells her to go there. But he shows up in the desert of her life too and says, okay, now I want you also to go back where you came from and I'm gonna give you more descendants than you can count. And that's why we get to sit here today because by faith, we are children of Abraham's promised son that would later be born, Isaac, and children of God himself through the blood of Jesus. Two very different women, one scarred, broken, wounded, used, abused, felt worthless, abandoned, and know nothing. But God met her there because he saw her and wanted to bless her. And another woman, a godly woman, who he blessing upon blessing upon as well. My point is, it doesn't matter who you are today, ladies. It doesn't matter who you are, married, single, old, young, more scarred up and beat up than anybody else here today or somebody that's been protected all your life and has only known a godly existence, whatever that, whatever that is, wherever you are today, I want you to know God sees you. And you are free to open yourself up before him and let him love you completely. Your husband, if you're married, cannot meet all your needs. He's not designed to do that. Don't put that on him. And men, she's not designed to meet your needs. Don't put that on your wife. There's only one who can fulfill you, Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, get to know him. And if you sort of know him, get to know him better. You'll never be disappointed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, there is none like you. I praise you, Father, because we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You have designed us perfectly. And God, I seek your forgiveness on behalf of these brothers of mine who have not always dealt with our wives tenderly and kindly. We've not always led spiritually our families. We have left it to them at times. Forgive us for that, Father. Forgive us for not investing in our wives, for not loving them with words and action, for not lifting them up. And I pray as a result of being here today, Father, we'll be a little bit better. And Father, for these ladies, young girls, teenage girls that are here today, I pray, Father, they find wholeness in you, completeness, I pray that they know they are beautiful because of you and your redemption. For those who are scarred today, I pray in time those scars become less and less tender. I pray that the wounds of words from the past or actions from the past, even they brought on themselves, will grow less impactful in their lives, their thinking, their self-view. I pray, Father, that no, no lady, no teenage girl, no, no, no little girl here in this assembly feels invisible today. 
but they are seen and noticed and know what it's like to be safe before you. Father, thank you for meeting us in our brokenness and our shame. And thank you for redeeming us through Jesus. In him we pray. Amen.